you would open your Bibles, we'll be reading from 2 Samuel chapter 23. 2 Samuel chapter 23. We'll be ver- reading verses uh, 11 and 12. <clears throat> After him was Shammah, the son of Agi the Herod. <clears throat> and the Philistines were gathered together in a troop, where, where was a piece of ground full of lentiles, and the people fled from the Philistines. But he stood in the midst of the ground and defended it, and slew the Philistines, and the Lord wrought a great victory. It is so good to see each of you this morning. appreciate your presence. Uh, We're especially delighted with uh, all of our visitors who are here with us this morning. But uh, I'm especially encouraged this morning because Brother Curry Montague is with us. He and his good and faithful wife and their young son... Uh, is here today. They just happened upon us. They were in the in the city uh, with a sports activity, and so uh, they just, out of blind luck, came across us. And I am delighted that that family is here with us today. Now I've known them for years. We haven't seen each other in many, many years. But Brother Curry and his wife are missionaries to Hungary, and uh, so uh, they spent. Part of the year here, they spend uh, part of the year in Hungary. In fact, they're getting ready to go back here in a couple of weeks and uh, continue with their great work over there, and they do a wonderful work. I first met Brother Curry Montague when uh, I was attending Grimsley, where my father went to church, and, and Brother Joe Masters, who will be here speaking on our summer series this year, and they support him in that great work over in Hungary, and found out later on, after I'd gone to Memphis, moved back to Memphis, that uh, he had ties to the Cordova congregation where I was uh, preaching at the time. Uh, some of our members knew him uh, through uh, uh, Freed Hardman College. And so uh, we were crossing paths all the time, but not close enough. So anyway, they are here with us today, and I just am so delighted to be able to have them in our presence. Within the history of the Bible... We learn about a great many faithful men and women. The Bible is full of heroic men and women. And we talked last week about heroes of the Bible. What it meant to be a hero and who heroes are and were. Now the the men and women we read about in the Bible who were faithful, they were in fact faithful to God. They worked for God. They fought for God. And they were faithful to God's people and His leaders. And I think that no better example of someone who was faithful to God and who was an example of a faithful leader, though he made some big mistakes in his life, was King David. And King David was so faithful to God, in fact, he was described as a man after God's own heart, 1 Samuel 13, 14. And his men understood that he was a man after God's own heart, that he had loyalty to God and to his people. They would have done anything for him. Do you recall on one occasion when he made the statement, oh, if I could just drink a cup of water from the well in Jerusalem. And some of his men went that night and and went into the city and got him a drink of water. And he wouldn't even drink it. He was so appreciative. He poured it out on the ground to God. That's the kind of man David was. Those are the kinds of, of men who faithful followers of God and women 
who they produce to be around them and engage with them in this fight here on earth. 2 Samuel 23 is a section in the Bible, and it's a section of history that details and explains to us and talks about some of the exploits of David's mighty men. We see that in verse 8. These were men who were highly trained soldiers. These were men who were faithful to God. They were faithful to David. There's nothing they would not do to please God and their king. Among those mighty men were three men who we might say were the best of the best, the mightiest of the mighty. We read about Adino the Esnite. He killed 800 men with his spear. We read about Eleazar who killed so many Philistines with his sword that his hand claved to the sword. His hand cramped around the sword. He had wielded it for so long and for so hard, he couldn't release his grip. He was not going to back down from the fight. And finally, we read about a man named <clears throat> Shemai. Shemai took a stand against the enemies of God. Shemai wanted to do the things that God asked him to do and that David asked him to do, even in the face of overwhelming odds. Now, we understand about doing things when faced with great odds. But I don't know that we know as much about it as many of the folks that we read about in the Bible. When they stood for God and when they fought for God, they were looking at odds that might mean the end of their lives. And he had these odds placed before him, Shammai did, on the God's battlefield. And through that mighty man, though, God brought about a great victory for Israel and for David. And so, Shammai is going to be the focus of the sermon this morning. In fact, I've entitled this sermon, Fighting with Courage on God's Battlefield. If we're going to put up a fight, we have to put up a fight, don't we? Have you ever watched a sporting event, maybe a boxing match, and I can recall growing up, uh, I was grown, but I remember the years, uh, the late 80s and and uh, moving on into the early 90s when uh, Mike Tyson was a heavyweight champion of the world in boxing. In fact, I think he described himself as the baddest man on the planet. And he would go into a boxing match, and, and I've listened to interviews of people who fought him, and he gained the victory before he ever stepped into the ring. He had courage on the battlefield. But the people who faced him from the other corner, they didn't have the courage. He had a ton of first-round knockouts. Now, I'm not promoting the lifestyle of Mike Tyson, don't get me wrong. I'm just talking about someone who has courage, and if you're going to fight, we must have courage to do that, right? If we go into a battle thinking, well, no way we can win this, certainly there's no way we can win this. Now, the Philistines stood against God's people, and when they did, God's people ran away. Everybody but Shammai. Shammai didn't run away. He took his stand in a field of lentils. He went over there onto God's battlefield, and he had his weapon with him, and he won a great victory. Now, there are a myriad of lessons, Bible class materials and sermons that we can 
uh, produced from this passage of Scripture. But what I want us to focus on this morning is the aspect of courage. The aspect of taking a stand for God when it is necessary, and it is always necessary, even when everyone else is running away. The first thing I want us to learn this morning will be there will be times of conflict among God's people. That's our first point. The Bible is clear when it speaks of the great conflicts that Israel faced during biblical times at the hands of the Philistines. The Philistines were a common thorn in the side of Israel for almost their whole existence. We learn when they arrived to wage war against Israel that it was during the time when it was the, the crop season. It was time to harvest the crops, 2 Samuel 23, 11. And now that gives us a lot of information, some much needed information about Satan that we can make application to our lives today. When does Satan attack? He's going to attack us during times of harvest, when we're preoccupied, when we're not paying attention to everything we ought to be paying attention to. Now, as we speak, God's people are supposed to be harvesting at the present. Jesus talked about it, John 4, verse 35, talked about bringing in the sheaves of God. He talked about lifting up your eyes and seeing the harvest. The fields are white with harvest. It's time to go harvest. It's time to work in the kingdom. It's time to go to the field. It's time to do those things. But we have to be careful in this life not to focus strictly on the harvest to the detriment of everything else. We have to take seriously God's demand for attention and vigilance in every aspect of life. That's why Peter describes Satan as a roaring lion, 1 Peter 5, 8. Walking about, seeking whom he may devour. The antelope or whatever kind of animal on the savannah that is lunch and supper and breakfast for the lion. Sometimes they have to do things other than watch for the lion, don't they? They have to drink water, they have to eat, they have to give birth to uh, their uh, offspring, they have to migrate from one location to other. But do they ever stop paying attention to the lion? No, they don't stop. Sometimes they don't pay as much attention as they ought to, and that's when the lion strikes. We must be at all times ready to engage in the battle against Satan, the great adversary. The lion who wants to destroy everyone, even when we're paying attention to other things. We can't just simply focus on one thing. Satan is going to focus on us during times of plenty. In Israel's case, they were preoccupied with bringing in this great harvest. They weren't prepared for war. The Philistines showed up when they were paying attention to something else. And what should they have been doing? They should have been taking in the harvest and paying attention to see if the Philistines were going to come. Satan's going to focus on us when things are going well. Have you ever noticed in the lives of some people, things begin to happen uh, positively for them? They they go through a time of uh, prosperity, and now they're focusing on the good things. They want to keep that going, and that's fine. That's what we ought to do. Things begin to go well for us. We need to keep it going well. We need to keep going. But we need to pay attention to some other things in life as well. We need to be vigilant. You see, Israel was 
too focused on bringing in the blessings of God. And they weren't thinking about defending the blessings of God. We're never, never going to have an excuse for not being prepared. God expects us to continually resist the devil. James 4 verse 7. Resist the devil and he'll flee from you. But notice what James didn't say. Resist the devil, he'll give up, he'll flee from you, and he won't come back. That's not the case, is it? If he continually, Matthew chapter 4, addressed the Lord, continually for 40 days and 40 nights tempted him to sin so that he could not be that perfect sacrifice, what do you think he's going to do with the rest of us? We're not as strong as the Lord was. We're not like Christ because... We don't put in the effort. And we sin. And we have sinned. He's always going to come back. To be preoccupied means to be engrossed in something to the detriment of everything else. Now think about that. Engrossed in something to the detriment of everything else. Do we have people in the world who are engrossed with their work and their financial gain to the detriment of everything else? What about families? Husbands, wives, children, moms and dads, all those people who we ought to be occupied with at the same time. Not preoccupied. We need to be occupied about our financial well-being. We need to work hard. We need to do those things, but we can never be preoccupied. He wants us, God, wants us to be occupied with His work and our salvation all at the same time. Because Satan is going to show up And he's going to try to destroy everything. You recall Nehemiah. Nehemiah, the great wall builder. Do you know what he instructed? Or do you recall what he instructed the people to do? Nehemiah 4, 16 through 18. He said, build the wall. They built the wall with one hand and they had their other hand on the sword. So they might defend if that happened. If it came to that. So we can't be preoccupied. The enemy of Israel arrived during the time of harvest. They caught the people unprepared. But we learned something else from this narrative. They arrived during the harvest, but they had an ambition. Their ambition was twofold. They wanted to inflict casualties on their enemy. Obviously, they wanted to do that. And, as was their habit, they wanted to attack during the time of harvest where they would not only destroy the enemy, they would take the spoils for themselves. And what they did not take for themselves, they would destroy. Therefore, the people would have nothing to eat. They could not sustain themselves. And now you're fighting against a weakened people. Smart move, isn't it? It's a smart move to go in there and take every advantage if that's what your goal is. doesn't make it right, but it makes it smart in the eyes of the person who's doing it. If they could wound their enemy and then also bring them to a place of hunger, hunger is a great motivator. Hunger is a great motivator. After a couple of hours, I'm motivated to eat something, right? Can you imagine going to battle and having no sustenance, not being able to, to replenish your life stores. You recall when Saul was in battle against the Philistines, he said, no one will eat till we've gained victory. And that's when Jonathan saw that honey and he, he dipped his sword down to the honey and he took a bite of it and, it and it made him feel better. 
His, sugar, his blood sugar was low, wasn't it? Well, see, Saul made a stupid, stupid commandment. The person that does that is going to die. We need to understand something about Satan. He's our enemy. He wants to inflict wounds upon us. And here's something I think is very important and something I find very interesting. Satan doesn't care if we have a congregation of the Lord's people at White Oak. No problem. Satan doesn't care if we worship God inside this building and, and do it correctly. He doesn't have a problem with that. God doesn't mind if we preach and we teach inside this building and, and we do it correctly. As long as we don't take it outside the building. When we take it outside the building, then that's when we have a problem. When we take it outside the building, that's when Satan is going to come upon us and he's going to catch us being distracted because now we're focused solely on the work and we need to be focused on the work, but we also need to be focused on our salvation. And he's going to catch us unaware. When we decide to get serious, look out. Satan's on the way. If a congregation is not serious about doing the work of God, He's not going to bother anyone, right? But when he learns that we're reaching out to the community, he's going to show up. He's going to destroy our crops. If he can destroy our crops, then we will be left hungry and weak and not able to properly defend ourselves. Now, what are our crops? Shema was standing in a field of lentils, peas of some sort. Our crops are the fruit of the Spirit, Galatians 5. Our crop is repentance, Matthew 3, 8. Our crop is the seed of the Word, uh, Matthew 13. And when we begin to use these crops properly, Jesus wants, or, uh, Satan wants to come in and he wants to steal those crops. If, he, if Satan can snatch the Word of God out of the very hand of someone, they're in trouble. If he can snatch the Word of God before it even has a chance to be buried in the dirt, so it can begin to germinate, his battle's won with that individual. So he's trying to snatch the Word of God out of the very mouths of people. He's trying to take the very living words that bring eternal life from people. Just like during the battle between Israel and the Philistines, we are going to engage in conflict with Satan in this life. That is something that is exactly going to happen. But, like Shema, we have to be able to muster the courage to engage in the conflict. That's our second point. I think it is clear that Shema had great resolve in his battle against the Philistines. We can see it, can't we? He was not going to stop. The only way Shema was going to stop is if he was killed. Now, the text tells us that he stood... He had resolve in his heart as he stood on the battlefield for God. He stood. He didn't hunker down. He didn't get behind a bush. He didn't follow everyone else when they left. He stood. He wanted the enemy to see him. He wasn't hiding. He wasn't hiding. Where did he learn that? He learned it from David, who learned it from God. You recall when... The Romans came to the garden to collect Jesus so they could take him off to that illegal court hearing. He stood up and he stood out. He said, I'm the one you're looking for. 
These other people are not who you're looking for. I am He. He stood. God stood. That's where Shema learned that. He learned it from David who learned it from God. They stood in the, in the battle. He had determined he was not going to run away. He was going to fight to the last breath. You know, when we read about Shema, we read about bravery. We read about courage. We read about resolve. Do you think that at some point Shema was not as courageous as he had been at that point? Do you think at some point in his life he might have ran away from a battle? Do you think at some point in his life he didn't have the resolve to stand? Well, of course that's possible. Of course that's possible. But if that is the case, he corrected that, didn't he? He corrected it and he stood. He may not have been what God needed him to be at all times, but at that time he was what God needed him to be. We're not always what God needs us to be. But we can correct that, can't we? We can become what God needs us to be. We can become faithful. We can obey the gospel through uh, uh, initial salvation. We can believe what the Bible says about Jesus the Christ, John eight twenty four. We can repent of past sins, Luke thirteen three. We can make the confession that He is the Son of God, Acts eight thirty seven. We can be immersed in water so that our sins can be forgiven, Matthew, uh, Mark sixteen sixteen. We can live faithfully until the end of time, Matthew ten twenty two. We can do that, and then maybe we still might mess up. Do you think Shema ever messed up as he was uh, being a mighty man for David? He wasn't perfect. Of course, on occasion he messed up. But he had overcome it, and he stood. We need to understand Paul commanded us, 1 Corinthians 15, 58, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of God. The faithful will never leave the battle. The faithful will never hide from Satan. The faithful will never try to hide from God. And if we do that, though, Satan will come in and he'll trample everything we've done. He'll try to destroy the work and he can be very successful. We have to decide we're going to take a stand. We need to learn from Shema. We need to be able to take a stand on God's battlefield. And we need to be seen. Stand up. We read of a lot of people like that throughout the Bible. With the courage of Shema, we find that he had resolve. But his resolve led to his reward, didn't it? We read about him in the, in, in the Scripture. His, he is mentioned by name. What's Potiphar's wife's name? I don't know. She's not mentioned by name. What about the rich man? We know who Lazarus is. What, what's the rich man's name? Not mentioned by name. Not mentioned by name. Shema's mentioned by name. Because he stood. He gained that reward. And he understood without food, without protection, the people would die. Someone had to take the fight to him, And that was Shema. I think the church is worth the fight. We need to stand up and we need to fight to protect the church. There are going to be problems within the church, within out, without the church. But the church was established by the very blood of Jesus, Acts 20, 28. He built the church by giving His life as that perfect sacrifice. He went to the cross knowing exactly what was going to happen, 
understanding the pain and the agony through which he would go, and he still went. He stood up. He was counted. He wasn't hiding. The Word of God is worth the fight. Prayer is worth the fight. Biblical preaching is worth the fight. Scriptural singing is worth the fight. Properly observing the Lord's Supper is worth the fight. Our families are worth the fight. Our young people are worth the fight. Lost souls are worth the fight. The faithful are worth the fight. Those things are literally worth dying for. And we read about that throughout the New Testament. Great men and women of God gave their lives so we could have the Scripture. When we understand that, and when we do that, we'll also receive the reward. When we wage war in God's field, when we stand up to be counted, when we stand so we can be seen, we're going to understand that conflict is just going to be a part of our spiritual lives. That's a part of it. Jesus warned His disciples, they'll hate you, but they hated me first. It takes courage to overcome the conflict. But we learn something else from our passage. <clears throat> if we fight the good fight of faith, 2 Timothy 4, 6-8, just like Paul did, we can enjoy the same conquest Shammai had. He enjoyed that victory, didn't he? He enjoyed it the same as every other faithful soldier throughout time. As they stood in the very presence of the enemy and before God and they fought. Now let's think about it this way. When we stand to be counted, when we stand to fill in the gap, when we stand to wage war, the enemy is not the only person who sees us. We're doing all of that in the presence of God and He understands and appreciates what we're doing. But we can enjoy that conquest. That's our third and final point. The last part of verse 12 speaks of the victory Shema had over the Philistines. But it was God who defeated the enemy, wasn't it? God gave him that ability to stand. He gave him the power to fight. He gave him the will to fight, the skill to win, the bravery to stand and to face the enemy. But it was God who fought the battle. But that wasn't peculiar just with Shema. Every person who was victorious won the battle because of God. <clears throat> we read about a young man called David before he ever became king, going into the, into the valley and facing the champion of the Philistines, uh, their giant Goliath. <clears throat> he won that victory by the hand of God. We read about Hananiah, Mishael, <clears throat> excuse me, and Azariah. They stood in the very presence of Nebuchadnezzar the rest of the country, in front of that great image, and they said, we're not bowing down. We're not bowing down. What about Daniel? He said, I'm going to pray to God. I don't care what the king says. I'm going to pray to the king of the world. God gave all of them that victory. Why was it that Daniel was not destroyed and killed in the den of the lions? Because of God. God's people are able to take a stand because they are empowered by Him. It comes from Him. 
Paul said, Philippians 4.13, I can do all things through Christ who strengtheneth me. Isn't that comforting? Isn't it comforting to know that we can overcome? Isn't it comforting to know that Jesus said, I'll never leave you nor forsake you? Isn't it comforting to know that when no one else will stand by us, He will stand by us? That's what Paul said. Isn't it comforting to know that no one can destroy God and that after this short life is over, we can have eternal life? Israel's enemy was defeated because God had one man who was willing to stand up and make the fight and defend his people. If we don't stand and defend, Satan's going to take over. Not that we're not standing or defending, but we need to focus on that along with everything else. We're not to be preoccupied. We're to be occupied with the work and our salvation. Paul told the elders in Ephesus, Acts 20, verse 28. We've mentioned this verse, but let's read it. Take heed therefore unto yourselves and to all the flock over the which... The Holy Ghost hath made you overseers to feed the church of God which He hath purchased with His own blood. There's nothing more priceless in the world than the church. Why? Because of the price of the church. The cost to establish it. Peter demanded of the elders among who received his letter 1 Peter 5, 2, Feed the flock of God which is among you, taking the oversight thereof, not by constraint, but willingly, not for filthy lucre, but of a ready mind. If Satan takes away our desire to work in the kingdom, and he'll do that through trying to cause us to lose our own salvation, who's going to call on the Father and stand in the gap? If we allow Satan to take the word out of our very mouths and our hearts, who's going to feed our children as they come up? Newborn babes in Christ. If we do not stand in conflict against sin, we will stand with sin. And we'll suffer in the end. If we do not display courage that God wants us to display as we engage in that conflict, we will not enjoy a victorious conquest. The enemy continues to attack God's people. Satan's not going to stop. He doesn't have to rest. He doesn't have to sleep. He doesn't have to have lunch or anything else. He is continuously working. He is tireless. He is focused. He is adamant on what his goals are for the people of this world. He wants to hurt God, and the only way he can hurt God is to cause us to lose salvation. Like then, so many people still flee from the presence of the battle. They get off of the field. They start looking for somewhere to hide. But we need to have the courage and the resolve that Shema had. He was quite an amazing individual. Too many people abandoned the harvest too soon. We're studying through the judges on Thursday morning. We're talking about the Danites who who went up and got the, uh, the priest from Micah's house got their own ephods and their idols and things like that. You know why they were even up in that area? Because they allowed the Philistines to push them off their inheritance. That's not what we want to do. We've been promised an inheritance through Abraham that all families of the world would be blessed. And if we allow the enemy to push us off our inheritance, 
we will not have an inheritance. But God wants us to have an inheritance. He wants us to fight with courage on His battlefield. You need to be encouraged today to come back to the battle. Whether it's through initial obedience or, or, or coming back and asking God to forgive you through public repentance and prayer if that part is necessary. Let that be known as we stand and as we sing.